This is session 48 of A Better Brand of Happiness, and as we continue our series through the book of Philippians, we are wrapping up the paragraph that um, I have identified as Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And as we've worked our way through this paragraph of Scripture, I have reminded you again and again that I've summarized this passage of Scripture in what I call my big idea statement, which is, when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. That's how I would summarize what Paul is saying in this entire paragraph. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Now, in previous sessions, we looked at verses 10 through 13, the first part of this paragraph, where Paul wrote that the gift that they sent him brought him joy, but not because he was greedy for money or even needed the money, but rather because um, God had taught him how to be content, whether he had little or a lot. And so having his needs provided in this way was just part of the contentment that God has, had taught him as a Christian. He learned how to trust Christ and be content in him no matter what. Also in previous sessions, we looked at verses 14 through 16. And this is where Paul rehearsed the giving history of the, book of, of, of the people of Philippi, the church in Philippi. And he describes how they sent him money multiple times to fund his ministry needs and help him spread the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, the past two sessions, we've been developing the end of this passage of Scripture, this paragraph, and we've looked at verses 17 through 20 together in the last several sessions. And in those verses, verses 17 through 20, Paul has been describing the benefits of giving. This whole passage is about money, generally speaking. It's about how, how Paul had learned how to be content without money, yet he was grateful for the gift that they sent, and he was grateful for it for many reasons, most of them spiritual. And now at the end of the passage, Paul describes how their gift benefited multiple people in multiple ways. And so this is kind of what we've been looking at the last several sessions. And as a general statement, I've said everyone benefits when God's people give to God's work. That's really the message of verses 17 through 20. We saw in a previous session, in verse, uh, sorry, session 46, verse 17, which tells us that the giver benefits when we give. And the way the giver benefits is by storing up eternal dividends in God's kingdom. The Bible says that giving to God's work is not like giving to charity. It's like investing in the stock market, a better thing than the stock market, in fact, because God guarantees exponential returns in eternity when God's people give. And so you, the giver, and I, the giver, benefit when we give to God's work. That's the message of verse 17. Then last time we looked at verse 18, the first part of it, and we learned that the receiver, Paul, or our church, or anyone who receives gifts from God's people also benefit. And their benefit is by having the supplies that we need to do ministry. Paul said this in the first few phrases of verse 18. He says, now I'm amply supplied. I have the ability to do ministry because of the money you sent me. Now in this session, we're going to get into the third beneficiary of our gifts, and that's God himself. And Paul tells us at the end of verse 18 and verse 19 and verse 20, how God benefits when we give. And so even though this is the third point in the everyone benefits thing, this is really, this one point is going to occupy the rest of today's session. 
And what we're going to see in this passage is that God benefits in three ways. At the end of verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20, Paul tells us that God benefits in three ways when Christians give to His work. And I want to just uh, preview these three for you, and then we'll get into them, and I'll show you where, I, where I've developed them from the Scripture. All right. So the three ways in which God benefits, just to summarize it, is first of all, He receives joy when we give, according to the end of verse 18. Second, God provides for our needs when we give, in verse 19. And if you're perceptive, you, you may have already thought, how does providing for us actually equal a benefit for God? I'll explain that later. All right, but that's the second way in which God benefits when we give. That is, it gives Him an opportunity to provide for our needs. And third, God benefits in the sense that He is glorified when we give, according to verse 20. And so these are the ways in which God benefits when we give. But before we jump into these and start looking at the first way in which God benefits, I want to just make a minor footnote here, all right? So just in your mind, just put a big parenthesis, a beginning parenthesis at what I'm about to say. And my minor footnote has, takes us back to verse 18. So look at verse 18 of Philippians 4, and there we read, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied... And here's the phrase, now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. I haven't talked about this phrase at all. I didn't talk about it last time, and, I didn't talk, and I'm not going to talk about it in today's session. And there's a reason why. The statement here is that this man, Epaphroditus, whoever he is, brought the money from Philippi to Rome where Paul was. He was the messenger the church at Philippi sent to deliver the money to Paul. But I'm not going to talk any more about him because I actually already did most of a session on him. Paul mentioned him in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. And Paul went into some detail about this man's dedication to God's work and what it said about him as a person. And so I really talked about Epaphroditus quite a bit and, and the mission that God used him for to deliver this money to Paul back in session 19. And so if you really want more to know more about what I've studied about Epaphroditus and what I think about him, go back to session 19 and you can find out all that there is to know. All right, that's the end of the parenthesis. And so now we go back to the benefits. How does God benefit when we give? We find that in verses, the end of verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20. And we learn there that God benefits in three ways. First of all, the Bible tells us that God receives joy when we give. God receives joy when we give. Look at the end of verse 18 again, where the Scripture says, They are, that is the gifts you sent, Philippians, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. And here's the phrase, pleasing to God. That last phrase, pleasing to God, tells us the end result that God receives when we give. And that's why I get the, the phrase, he receives joy. Your giving provides you a better brand of happiness because it's an investment made in God's work. It provides the receiver happiness because it gives us the ability to, uh, to thank God for your gifts and to have what we need to do ministry. But it also causes the heart of God to rejoice, Paul says. He ends verse 18 says it's by saying it is pleasing to God. That is, it is something that, makes him happy, that brings him this better brand of happiness. 
And how does that work? How does God do that? Well, there's two phrases before the phrase pleasing to God, and they fill in the details for us. How does your gift and mine, when we give money to God's work, cause joy to the heart of God? The answer is in the phrases in verse 18. They're a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice. These two phrases, a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, equate the money that you give to this church, the money that you give to God's work in ministry with the Old Testament sacrificial system. The phrase fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice are callbacks to the Old Testament, where God's people would bring an animal to the sanctuary, whether it was first the tabernacle or later the temple, the place where the central altar was, the place where God had commanded his people to bring their offerings, to bring their sacrificial animals. The language Paul uses here, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, are a callback to that system where God's people brought animals to be sacrificed to the Lord. And that first phrase, a fragrant offering, is often used in the Old Testament to describe the smell that God's, the offerings of God's people created when they were burned on those altars. And in fact, when Noah left the ark and was grateful to God's, for God's uh, protection and provision for him, God's salvation that he provided him, the Bible tells us he built an altar and he made a sacrifice. And the Bible says that God smelled the sacrifice and was pleased by it. And there are other passages where the same language is used, that it is a fragrant offering, that the smell of the sacrifices of God's people bring joy to the heart of God. Now think about this in terms of the Old Testament giver. The Old Testament giver, if he was a shepherd, would go through his flocks and he would figure out which of the flocks was dedicated to the Lord, like, like how many. And he would find, according to the Old Testament law, the very best of those sheep. And he would bring it to the temple. And he would offer it to the Lord. And when he offered it to the Lord, it was burned up. Depending on which sacrifice it was, some of it was consumed by the priests for food. But for the most part, it was just burned. Doesn't that seem like a tremendous loss, like a tremendous waste? If you spent all of your time as a cattle rancher and you brought some of what you had raised, something that could have earned you money, and somebody just burned it up in front of you, you would think, what a waste. But it wasn't a waste because it was an act of worship to God. And as an act of worship to God, it says to God, you are the most important priority in my life. This is a tangible way in which I obey the command to love the Lord my God with all my heart by giving God the first fruits, the very best of what I have done with my hands. I acknowledge Him as Lord, and I show that He is the top priority, the greatest love in my life. And that's what brings joy to the heart of God. It's not the so-called waste of the burning sacrifice, and it's not the smell. God doesn't have nostrils. Okay, this, He uses this language of fragrance um, to show us 
uh, like just like a, a smell that's pleasing to us. We enjoy it. So it's a way of describing the joy that God gets from the sacrifices that people brought in the Old Testament. And so all of this is to say that when you bring your money and give it to this church or give it to God's servants who are spreading the gospel, one of the people who receives joy from that is God himself. Because to God, it is the equivalent of somebody bringing part of their herds to the temple to be offered as a sacrifice to him. It's an act of worship. And it shows how important your God is in your life. And that's what brings God joy. But how exactly is the money that the Philippians sent to Paul like an act of worship? I mean, Paul is the one who got the money. So how is that an act of worship to God? And the answer is that Jesus always considered and often spoke about how something that was done for one of his children or one of his servants was actually done for him. There are multiple passages I could take you to to show you this, but I'll just show you one for the sake of time this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, where Jesus says this, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. There it is. There's the equivalence. Jesus says, if you treat my disciples well, it's like you've treated me well. And he goes on and says, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. So even Christ himself stands in for God the Father. It's all of a piece in the mind of Christ. Then he says, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. God says, if you give a benefit to one of my children or one of my disciples or one of my servants, it's as if you gave it directly to me. God loves it when we give to his people and give to his servants because that's an act of love for him. And it benefits the person who receives it. And so Jesus affirms that the money that was given to Paul was actually a gift devoted to God. And so it is when you tithe and give to this local church. So it is when you fund the missionaries that we support, and even ones we don't support if you give separately from that. It shows that you care, that you love God, and you care enough about His work and His ministry that you are willing to devote some of your precious income, the fruit of your labor, to seeing his work spread. And that brings joy to the heart of God. Giving is an act of worship. And that's why God is pleased. That's why God receives joy when we give. Now notice the next phrase in verse 18, where Paul says, "It is a, they are, the gifts you send, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Now, the phrase acceptable sacrifice sort of implies that there are unacceptable types of sacrifices. And that's true. If we were to take time in the Old Testament, which I won't do for the sake of time, but we could go through unacceptable sacrifices in the Old Testament. God is not pleased when his people find the lamest lamb, the one that has defects and can't be sold on the market any more than if you ordered your groceries online and you got a bushel full of apples and they were all you know, ones that were wormy and bruised and obviously messed up. You wouldn't be very happy about that. 
So it is when God's people try to give their offerings by giving the worst of their flocks instead of the best. Those are unacceptable sacrifices in the sight of God. Another type of unacceptable sacrifice is when God's people, which they frequently did, tried to merge worship with God with pagan worship practices. This is unacceptable in the sight of God. And so when Paul says, the gifts you sent are an acceptable sacrifice, he is acknowledging the cost to them, that this was money they could have used on their own, just as the person who brings the best of his flock could have sold it for a profit. And yet, when we bring an acceptable sacrifice to God, it shows that we prioritize giving in the sight of God. And so the reason why God receives joy when we give is because our gifts are an act of worship. And so I'm wondering, are you worshiping God regularly through giving? I don't think there's anything wrong with the way we practice giving the way we do, like if you do online giving, which I've done for years in this church, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I do think there is a little bit something missing of putting things into the offering plate, that the act of doing it as part of our worship service, I think does have some meaning, some significance, but regardless of whether you give online or whether you put it in the box in the back of this room or mail it in as many people do, the Bible says the fact that you give to God's work is an act of worship to God. It shows that you love God and that you care about His work, and this brings joy to the heart of God. That's the first benefit that God receives when Christians give. The second benefit we see in verse 19, and that is this, that God provides for our needs when we give. God provides for our needs when we give. Look at verse 19. Paul goes on and says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. This is the second way in which God benefits by our giving, but it's, a, it's, a, it's not exactly spelled out as a benefit in the passage. And in fact, if you look at it just in a certain way, it almost seems like a perverse kind of benefit. I'm saying God benefits by paying, by, by giving up something. And so how is that a benefit? How is God providing for the needs of his people when they give a benefit to him, not a cost? The answer is that God is a giver by nature, and the Bible teaches us over and over again. God is gracious and kind and compassionate and generous from his heart. It's not a cost to God to give. It's a blessing to him to give based on his very nature. But there, I think there's more to it than that. Not just that it's an opportunity for a generous God to show generosity, but I think there's more to it than that. And the more to it is this. When you give, giving is an act of faith. You put your faith in God. You're saying, God, I could probably use this money to pay a bill or to uh, save for retirement or to do something else in my life that would be fun or beneficial or good for my family. But instead, I'm going to prioritize your work. I'm going to put faith in you and your promises. And that pleases God. It shows that we trust Him. And so when Paul says in verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs, he is giving a promise, a promise that God has given over and over again in the Scriptures, that while giving may create a need in your life, either immediately or in the future. 
The promise of God is when you act in faith by giving, God is so overjoyed by your giving that he promises to meet whatever need is created or whatever need you have in the future because you trusted him on the front end of your finances. Have you ever made a promise to someone that, made, that you were happy to pay off on? That's what this is talking about here. Maybe you made a deal with one of your kids and said, if you will clean up the basement today, or if you will go out and rake all the leaves in the yard and bag them up, I will gladly give you a $10 bill. And when you get home, the work is done. Miraculously, your child actually did what you wanted them to do for a change. No, sorry. That wasn't very nice. Are you happy to part with that $10 bill? Usually, I think most parents would say yes. One, you get the benefit of a raked yard or a clean basement. But two, you get the joy of seeing your children make a priority, make a decision, and actually follow through on that. That's a sign of maturity. And that makes glad the heart of any good parent. And so while somebody might say, well, I hate to part with this $10 bill, the truth of the matter is when you get to pay off on a promise, if it's a promise that's made in good faith and a promise that demonstrates something about the person who takes you up on the promise, it makes you feel good to be able to pay off on promises like that. And so it is with God. God's word promises again and again that God will stand in the gap that's created or that may come in someone's life later when that person gives faithfully to his work. And God promises this. He promises to bless his people who give over and over again in the scriptures. Here's just one passage of many that I could take you to. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, the scripture says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And when Paul says in verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs, he is making a promise to the Philippians. He is saying, The God who promises to provide for the needs of his people will make good on that promise in your life. If you have needs now because of your giving or in the future, And God is pleased to make good on that promise because of who he is in his very nature and because of what your giving says about you as an act of faith. But notice how Paul develops in verse verse 19, this idea, the promise that God will meet our needs. He says in verse 19, and my God will meet all of your needs. And then he tells us the standard by which he will meet our needs. He says in verse 19, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It tells us that God is going to meet our needs and he's going to do it in a very particular way. In verse 19, when Paul says, God will meet all your needs, he will, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. The riches that are described here describe the abundance that God has as the creator of all things. Everything, whether material or spiritual, whether on this earth or elsewhere in the universe, all of it belongs to God, the creator. And that means God has immense wealth beyond what any of us can even begin to appreciate. 
And so it's not a cost to him to give, and God is never stingy about providing for his people. Because as the creator of all things, he has a vast store of wealth. And as a generous person, he is longing to share that with people who will believe him by faith. But notice the phrase in verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory. The phrase of His glory describes what God's riches are like. It tells us they're lavish, they're glorious riches. They are spiritual and spectacular and completely abundant. Paul is trying to find a word to describe how amazing the wealth of God is, and not just materially speaking. In fact, as a spiritual being, that's the least important and the least glorious of God's wealth. God has joy for His people. He has love for His people. He has peace and many great qualities that He wants to share with His people. And the Bible says that His glorious nature is also reflected in the things that he owns, the things that he has. His wealth is glorious on its face. And then he says this at the end of verse 19. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That last phrase, in Christ Jesus, is so important because it tells us how we get connected to the creator of all things, how we get connected to the wealthiest being who ever lived and ever can live. And it's through the gifts of Jesus Christ himself. In Christ Jesus, as a phrase at the end of verse 19, reminds us that it is through our faith in Christ and through His gifts to us by grace that we have the promises of God. It was His life, His word, His death, and His resurrection that gave to us forgiveness of sins a title of forgiven and perfect in the sight of God, the Holy Spirit to help us grow in our faith so that we can give. And all of this is unlocked through Jesus Christ who came to earth and revealed God to us and died for our sins. It is your faith in Christ that puts you in connection with the perfect God, the ultimate giver, the one who wants to lavish on all of us His glorious riches in eternity. And it's through Christ Jesus. And so let me just stop before we get to the third way in which God benefits and just speak to you if you're not a Christian this morning. Before God asked anything of you, He gave everything for you. The most important thing that He had Himself in the person of His Son, God came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the three persons of God became a man named Jesus. And he lived on this earth to reveal God to us and to live a perfect life that we could not live. And he died in our place to receive the wrath of God and to pay the debt for sins that you and I owe. And then he rose victoriously from the grave so that we can overcome death and live with him eternity. That is, in a very small nutshell, the hope that we have as Christians, and the core message of our faith. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what you need. You need to receive the riches of forgiveness, the riches of eternal life in Jesus Christ by receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. God benefits in three ways when Christians give. 
First of all, he receives joy when we give because our gifts are an act of worship and show how much he means to us and how much we love him. Second, he benefits by providing for our needs when we give. It activates an opportunity for God to show his giving nature and to keep to make good on the promises that he makes to us in his word. Thirdly, in verse 20, we learn that God is glorified when we give. This is the ultimate thing that God receives when we give. He receives glory when we give. Verse 20 is a doxological statement. You've heard of the song, the doxology. It's a, it's a song or a statement that gives glory to God. That's what doxology means, words of glory. And Paul his letters are sprinkled, and many of the Old and New Testament books contain doxologies, giving glory to God, and this is one of them. Philippians 4.20, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the third way in which God benefits when we give. He is glorified when we give. God the Father is specified in verse 20. To our God and Father, he said. And Paul in these words of doxology, in these words of glorification, says, may God be glorified. And the extent of his glory is forever and ever. The point of Paul's doxology here is that it was a sort of an interjection. It was a fitting way for him to worship God with words by summing up all that the gift of the Philippians meant. Remember my big idea statement was it meant more to Paul about what it said about them than what he received. That was I just butchered it, but the point is that Paul was, Paul was more concerned about the message of the gift rather than the money that, and the things that it paid for. And that's why he ends with this, because Paul is overjoyed by their gifts. The Philippians are showing that their faith in God is real, that their love for God is real, that their love for Paul is real. They put their money, as the phrase we use, where their mouth was. They didn't just say they loved God and loved his work. They paid because they loved God and his work. And this brought immense pleasure to God. It brings joy to his heart when his people give. And the end result is that he is glorified when we give. The word glory means praise and worship. It means adoration. It's the kind of lavish praise that we give to people who are really talented athletically. We say they're awesome. Those are words of glory. When we say that God is glory, glorious or we pray that God be glorified, that's what we're doing. We're describing his awesomeness. They also, the word glory also describes the priority that God deserves, that, that he has first place and he deserves first place. Everything rightly belongs to God, and that's why glory belongs to him. And this is the goal of all of our lives as Christians. The Bible teaches that the things that we do with our lives and the reason that we live is to bring glory to God. That is, that we want everyone around us, whether Christian or non-Christian, to see reflected in our lives the awesomeness of who God is. And this happens in multiple ways, way more than I could get into in this message. But the Bible teaches that when you and I grow in our faith, when we do things that are consistent with people who love God and live according to His commands and want Him to be pleased and, and, 
That all reflects well on God. It shows people how awesome God is. And our giving is part of that. Our giving shows the amazingness of God. Because giving money to God again and again demonstrates that we love Him, that we trust Him, that we want His greatness to be known throughout the world through the power of the gospel. So we're willing to pay so that the gospel can go forth here and around the world. Think about what it says when someone spends $10,000 on an epic vacation. That's a lot of money. And if they come back with glowing reports about how much fun they had, we might say, well, it was worth it then. We get a better impression, perhaps, of the place that they visited or whatever experience they got. It helps us to see the greatness of what they spent the money on. If somebody's willing to spend $10,000 on something, it had better be good. And so it is with our giving to God's work. When we give as a priority in our lives and repeatedly and sacrificially to the work of God, it tells everyone around us how great we think God is. And that reflects well on Him. That brings glory to Him. And so God benefits when you and I give to His work because it makes Him happy. It brings joy to Him. It's like one of those animal sacrifices when we give. It's an act of worship that brings joy to the heart of God. Secondly, it activates God's ability to provide for us. That is, it activates the other side of His promise, the the opportunity for Him to pay off and give to us because we've taken Him up on the promises that He made. And finally, all of this brings glory to Him. People see the greatness of God when we give. And so my big idea for this session is then to give to God's work, to bring joy to God's heart, to see God provide in your life, and to bring Him glory. If you're not giving regularly an acceptable sacrifice to God through gifts of money to His work, you're missing out on the opportunity to worship God and the opportunity to see God work in your life in a powerful way. And so let me encourage you to give. There are so many benefits to giving. You benefit, the receiver benefits, and God benefits. What other way can you spend money or invest money or use money that has so many benefits? The answer is there aren't any. So I want to encourage you through the example of the Philippians and through the description that Paul gave about the work that they did through giving. I want to encourage you to become a giver yourself. Giving brings joy to God's heart, and this is a better brand of happiness.